and you're recording, it says. I am recording. So there we are. We did have that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't like to think about. All that waste of time. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Um, we're back. It's been a while. Um, it seems that the future generation have got good fathers because they're prioritizing looking after their young rather than <laughs> chatting nonsense about rugby. Um, and as such, we have a, a new lineup today. Um, stepping in to fill the void that, that, that's been echoing in the caverns this year so far. Um, so I'm Ant, and joining me today is Phil, which is a familiar voice. How's it, Phil? Thanks, Ant. Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Keen to chat some rugby. We've got a whole bunch of series to talk about, so yeah, it should be good. Yeah, well, well, six months worth of rugby. I'm worried that we're going to be able to keep this under time. Um, and another new voice that's joining us um, is Andrew DeBlock, who's been a long-time fantasy player. Um, I think he's got a title to his name. Um, but yeah, very keen and knowledgeable and, and we're excited to have him on board. Yeah, that I do, Ant. And um, I think I have about three caps by virtue of my letters being written into the original ERB panel. Um, so I've been mentioned a couple of times, but it's it's uh, good to connect directly with the viewers this time. Yeah, good to have you on board. Um, cool. So I think we're going to keep this in traditional ERB format and just really nice and casual and relaxed and just kick, jump straight into it. So first things first, um, we're going to go through the couple of series, but Australia, England, guys, what did you make of it? Well, Phil, as the uh, resident England fan among us, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, obviously happy with the final outcome. Um, I enjoyed, I think, this last match that decided most out of the three games. Uh, it was also one of those where Australia, it seemed like, you know, they had, I think, majority of the ball and they, if they had been able to take their chances, they really could have put it home um, on Saturday. But at the same time, I felt that England were in the last match, at least the better team, not throughout the series. I think this was probably the closest in terms of um, quality of the two teams out of like the three big series that we're going to discuss. Um, so I think England did well. Because they, they had a lot of players out, as did Australia. Um, and there were some players who put their hands up. Uh, I think I was impressed with guy, young guys like Brady Stewart, um, Jack Van Portfleet. But then also, I think they still have a lot of work to do in terms of trying to get to a, a stage where they can be realistic World Cup contenders. And I think from Australia, um, they did a pretty good job, I think, of you know, managing to sort of maintain a decent level throughout the series, also again with so many injuries. Um, so I think they'll be disappointed to not have pulled through, um, but at the same time, uh, pretty happy with what they were able to produce and positivity going forward. Yeah, it, it, it's quite an interesting series for both of those teams because they both feel like they're still really in their, like early in their development cycle before the World Cup. You know, there's still quite a lot of new faces in both teams, I mean, the number of new caps was handed out the series. Um, and as you say, you know, you still see finding new guys putting their hands up and some old guys that are maybe being found out that not probably going to make it to the World Cup, um, you know, which, is, which is interesting given both coaches 
our meticulous planners have been around for you know four or eight years or six years by this stage. So yeah, it was definitely a very interesting contest from that perspective, as you say. Probably the two most evenly matched teams, but also the two most like in the development teams. Um, yeah, Andrew, who stood out for you? Yeah, I'd pretty much agree with that. I think the two teams who are perhaps not challenging for any sort of world titles right now, but um, are in the rebuild phase. And I think there's a lot of pressure on Eddie Jones coming back to native Australia and uh, he's got a good record, but uh, had it up against him this series. And uh, yeah, I think he did well. I mean, as, as Eddie Jones goes, he complained a lot, but that's sort of typical Eddie Jones. And um, yeah, I think England probably were the better side in the series, I think, Phil. Um, Australia, yeah, you know, I feel like when you're fielding a guy like Tom Wright on the wing, you sort of not not scraping the barrel, but you, he's not really a world-class player, is he? Uh, I think it's sort of just indicative of where Australia are at. They're they're scraping together uh, uh, an ultra club side, but it's not really for me on the international uh, platform. So. We'll see how they do. I mean, they they are doing well and they're, they're pulling off some upsets. And I think as Bach fans, uh, and to you and I at least, if we come as an England fan, um, we, we need to at least admit that we, we went down 2-0 to the Aussies last year. But um, there's the rugby championship to play. Uh, but I don't think England or Australia are on that like top tier level. You know, they're not, they're not challenging at the top three sort of of the world ranking. So... Yeah, it was a good series, as Phil says, evenly matched. Um, good rugby to watch, but uh, yeah, two two sides who don't have all the answers yet, and we'll see as they build towards the World Cup. Everyone's, all the coaches at the moment seem to be saying, you know, judge us on the World Cup, but um, not everyone can, not everyone can succeed at the World Cup. So we'll we'll see what happens. It's interesting that you highlight Tom Wright as you know scraping the barrel, <laughs> considering I thought he was actually one of the, the top performers in the last two games. You know, it was it was interesting to see, as we mentioned, who did put their hands up and who didn't. You know, guys that you expected to kind of stamp their mark on the tour, someone like Tupo, who was kind of absent. Even Rob Valentini didn't see much of him. Hooper seemed to have regressed a bit from his ridiculous standards last year. But then, you know, known quality guys like Corabetti and Karevi were just outstanding. I thought Noel Olesito had a really strong tour. Tom Wright was good. I mean, the Robins had a fullback, so you know, that's something they need to sort out. Kellaway was was surprisingly strong in his first game. And, and you know, they did have a, like, um, Ferris wheel with lock, but most of the locks that came in had pretty strong games, and considering most of them, you know, are with under 10 caps, um, I think Matt Phillips had the most experience with like 15 or something. So, um, you know, there were definitely some promising signs there, but I think, you know, worrying the, the, some of the bigger names went absent. Um, whereas on the English side, you know, you had guys like Laws just absolutely having this cracking series. Um, I mean, that's that's probably worth talking about on its own right. I mean, Courtney Law has handed the captaincy of the English team ahead of Owen Farrell and all the feathers that ruffled. But um, I just think it's funny that I'm shitting on Tom Wright because he's such an Andrew fancy yes. player. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you're shitting on Taniela Tupo because he's such an end player. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tom, Tom Wright seems like he's one of those guys who can make something happen, you know. So he's like one of those risky fantasy players because he can get you 70 points in a match and then next week he'll get you like negative five because yeah. <laughs> he'll have one of those games. So, But like Anne said, I think he was actually pretty good in the lot, especially this last weekend, but yeah, even in, earlier in the series. Um, and I think it was... It was almost a blessing in disguise that 
Quade Cooper wasn't playing because, like Ant said, Alessio was really good. And I think going forward, they just need a back with Alessio and just. Uh, yeah, I think he's their future there at 10. Yeah, but they, you know, it's it's good. To, they need to have two quality options by the time they get to the World Cup. So if that's they can, true. you know, dovetail between Quaid and and Lallecio, then that's great. But you know, Quaid's be there done that he's got the caps. Give them to Lallecio in the meantime. Um, but I just wanted to, to retract there quickly. And you were talking about um, risky fantasy players, and it's very interesting about all the noise and hype about value being on the bench, you know, the game breaker, the guy that could decide the series, and then they wait until two minutes from time to bring him on when you're chasing ten points. You know, it's like surely if you've I suppose that that's maybe my, my feeling for Australia most of the time is that they, it was similar to the Springboks at certain stages that they were, even if they were behind on the scoreboard, they always felt like, you know, they could just turn it on and get there. You know, they really had good promising attacking phases and just, you know, that execution of the last minute quite, quite let them down, which is, I suppose, the criticism of England is given how dominant they were for large chunks of the game, you know, they still only scored, what, three or four tries across the series or something stupid. Like, you know, they're really just struggling to rack up points. Um, which has, you know, been plaguing them for the last couple of years, and I think that's that's definitely going to be Eddie's big work on for the next couple of months is, is figuring out how to get over the try line. Yep, and I think there were some promising signs. So, like, obviously the um, what's it, the Smith Farrell uh, combination looked quite in the beginning stages of like that development, but I think there were also promising signs throughout the series of that improving. So, if they can sort of keep that going as well, I think. It's something they should stick with. They shouldn't sort of throw it away. And I think there was enough promise in that. So. Yes, I mean Smith definitely grew his game throughout. I mean the first Ganache was pretty much anonymous, and by the third one, you know, he was doing Smithy things. Um, but yeah, just quickly before we move on, what was your guys' feeling around England's just general grubbiness? I mean, there was the blatant Johnny Hill stuff, but I mean you had Genge slapping people in the face at every rocket, you know, celebrating, pushing people. I mean, you know, there was the the, the elbow to Nick White's face. Um, you know, there definitely seems to be a tactic there of the English just being bastards, which... Well, let, let's not um, let's not forget the Mario Toje scream at that line-out. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> what was that? I think it's going to be in our nightmares, even if you're an English fan. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was very... I mean, it was a very eddy approach, but, you know... No, I mean, I think as an English fan, it was, you know, bordering on that line of... You know, just putting yourself out there and being an away team in a hostile environment to actually almost going against the spirit of the game. So it is a fine line, and I think they knew, like you say, Eddie Jones knew exactly what he was doing with all of that, and it seemed to work. Obviously, it worked on Darcy Swain in the first match very effectively, and that probably also gave them like more sort of um, reason to carry on because they, they could see how easy it was to get under their skin. So, but as a coach, I guess it's a potential like weapon in your arsenal but obviously not everyone uses it what do you guys think for me it's sort of it's uh, reminiscent of that um peter de villiers springbok era where you know skulk was accused of eye gouging and there was all this niggly stuff going on and he said well you know rugby's not a game of ballet it's um it's contact sports but yeah, it is that tactic of like get under the skin and then sort of reap the benefits from there if you can, um, which is almost like you, know, you you can't beat them at a real game of rugby. So so it's a, it's an act of desperation trying to get under the skin and and get the penalties or cards as it was with Darcy Swain. But, but to be honest, Darcy Swain's just primed for that kind of reaction. So. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, uh, clearly it was effective, but it's not it's not fun for the spectator. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, I think it's just it's just ugly in my view. Um, but yeah, I think that that kind of covers the, the England series um, in a whirlwind way. Um, I suppose the more surprising result, I don't think anyone was kind of. I mean, I think we all expected Ireland to be competitive, but the manner in which they started each game and dominated the second and third game. I mean, the second game, not on the scoreboard, but at least in terms of the way they were playing. And, you know, the third game, they just completely wrote out the All Blacks. It's, you know, it's, it's something we've been seeing for a long time, um, that the All Blacks aren't quite the same team that they used to be, not as dominant, and certainly don't seem to be as well coached, or even just know the type of players they want to select. I think, yeah, they're in an interesting place. But we'll ask the same question. What was your guys' kind of big takeaways from the series? Um, Andrew, we'll throw it to you first this time. Yeah, I mean, as you say, interesting series, interesting results. I don't think anyone predicted that. Um, Ireland have been a quality side for a few years now and have been threatening those upper echelons of Test Rugby for for some years and some seasons. And they've, they've built up a quality squad as well. Uh, we've got guys like, you know, Ty Byrne and Devin Toner starting starting to enter the conversation of, you know, Top, top players in their positions. I'm getting some, some skew looks from you guys. but um, Devin Tone, I'm very sure, is he's well, sitting on a farm in Ireland at the moment. But. All right, so Devin Tone was clearly <laughs> a J- bad example. But J- um, James Ryan did re-elevate himself to series. I'll give you yeah, that. Really he, was, he, he you know, was kind of coming along as the next great lock. Let's, um, um, let's, let's not, let's not forget the legend of Mac Hansen either on the wing. Um, <laughs> another Andrew Andrew. <laughs> do you reckon he's better or worse without the monkey beard no I, I think he's been thriving to be honest like since he's come to Ireland of course he's just come on and leaves and bounds it's pretty anyway, crazy yeah. anyway I, I think I think Ireland have, have, have um, surprised everyone um, I think New Zealand have been you know of course they touted as the best side in the world um, the rankings notwithstanding I mean on a on a regular basis they are the benchmark for world rugby. Um, I think we can really deny that. And um, they, they're in a similar phase to, I guess, Australia and England in a way that they are trying to figure out what is their best test selection. I don't, I don't know that they know who their best players are and what their best combinations are. Um, they're in a unique position, I think, of being ha- able to have so many players to choose from, especially in the back line. I think their forwards probably is where they're lacking, particularly front row, to be honest. But, um, I don't know about that. I, I think that they've got lots of players that are good, but all of them are basically the same within the same position. You know, they don't have any options really. You know, they've got a million really good loose forwards, but they all play the same way. You know, the same thing at, at, at lock or the same thing at center. You know, they've got lots of good players, but none of which they need. You know, they've they've never replaced a Kaino or a Nonu. And there's just yep. no cattle yep. in the stadium, I mean, in the stable that can do that. It's still at this stage, I reckon. Um, no, so, it's, yes, they've obviously got unlimited resources in terms of just pure quality. But, like, no one really that they need to turn their team around, I think. You know, they've had guys like um, Akira Oni and Shannon Frizzell and stuff. And just, again, it's, they haven't clipped it at the level they need, um, I think. Um, but, sorry, I kind of deviated there a little bit. Um, no, I think that's my point. I think they they have the quality players. They're just about getting them in the right combinations and getting them time together on the field. And I don't think they've quite clicked yet, as you say. 
But um, if if they do, I mean, they'll they'll be a force to be reckoned with at any team on the planet right now. But um, kudos to Ireland. I mean, they they put it together. They had the right game plan and they uh, executed and, and got the win, the the rare series win in New Zealand. So congrats to them. Does anyone have any stats on how many series we have lost? I mean, notwithstanding that we didn't play for a long time, but I mean, I can't imagine we have one series against Northern Hemisphere teams. No, just. Yeah, well, against anyone. I mean, because two of the New Zealand losses were against us in Australia. Um, but, I mean, like, we haven't lost a test series since professionalism. It's so rare, yeah. I mean... And like, so, like, so before that, you know, I mean, the pre-1990 box or pre-apartheid you know, blocking box were also just insanely good. Um, and I think just, look, tiers are, tours are hard to win. But I'd be interested to know what our record is for comparison. Yeah, don't have any stats for you there, Ant, sorry. <laughs> I was expecting to pull them out there. But, I mean, yeah, I suppose like... My feeling skills are not that good. We, 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 it's, it's an interesting conversation because we can talk about how good Ireland were and I think they, you know, built themselves really good depth and they've got a really strong game plan and it's, you know, there's maybe conversations of have they peaked too soon or not. I think they came into this with a very strong mindset of they're here to win the tour. I mean, if you saw, I mean, I, we joked about it last week after they, they won the second test that there was almost zero celebration. Like, Johnny Sexton was not bothered at all. Like, you know, they just won their first ever test in New Zealand. He was like, cool, this is only half the job. Was this the kind of the emotional reaction. And you can see it actually when they won now yesterday, they actually had the proper um, emotional reaction to expecting. So who knows, maybe under Farrell, you know, they've now got that kind of longer-term kill instinct. They know what they're now working towards and they can actually build towards as opposed to, you know, They've got enough sustained success now that they can actually look and set a target of the semi-final as opposed to the previous years where, you know, just getting a one-sort win every now and then was was already kind of box-ticked. Um, whereas, yeah, on the other side of the coin, you've got New Zealand who, I mean, unless they bring in a new coach, and I think this is the problem is that if they do bring in a, good, a new coach, you know, it's, it's one or two selections and a little bit of game plan and they're back to being the best and, and most unbeatable team in the world. Um, as long as we can keep Foster at the helm, then I think they remain beatable. Yeah, I think I agree with what you guys are saying. Um, and they're pretty much two teams that are on opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of like coaching. Um, New Zealand seem like literally the worst coach team given the talent that they have at the moment. Whether it's combinations, like you were saying, in the loose forwards getting that wrong, because that's a part of coaching too, or whether yeah. it's just knowing your game plan, knowing what you're trying to do. And, you know, comparatively, Ireland, like you guys were saying, not that they don't have a team full of world beaters, but they really make it work. Um, I really enjoyed watching guys like Dan Sheehan and Josh Van der Fleer. And these are guys who have been, oh, Sheehan's a bit younger, but some of the guys have been around for a while and they're really stepping up now. Like, they're all so comfortable within the team. I think even their game plan, like, I don't think it's anything that remarkable. They just executed so well. So like, it's not gonna blow you away in terms of like, you know, something completely new to the that you haven't seen before. But they're just so good at all the little things that they do, whether it's like Sexton's wraparound or whether it's just you know coming deep and entering the line and drawing another guy in. So they're really good at it, but it's also just you know simple things. And it's really disappointing to watch New Zealand and just see how backwards they've gone in terms of even little things like they always used to be the team, whether it's, you know, their forwards or their backs who like they always would just do the right thing in terms of like game awareness or game intelligence. 
and now it just seems like they don't really know what they're doing. If you give guys the ball, like some of the forwards, um, they used to, or maybe they still do have like the most skilled forwards in the world, but they just don't look like it. They don't have the confidence, but they also don't have like the mindset in terms of what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. it's disappointing for me because I, I mean, I, despite what Ant may have said, I support South Africa number one and then England. But I'll always try and watch the New Zealand games because I love watching them generally. But under Ian Foster, they've just honestly, they've gone from like being number one all the way down in terms of just that excitement level. I, th I think, I mean, my reading of it, I suppose it just comes back to the thing that they're just not well coached. And it, maybe it's a testament to how good the players actually are. But like, the reason they're still winning games is just purely on individual moments of skill. Like that first game against Ireland, they had all their tries were just complete fluke luck things. And that's kind of how they've been playing for the last couple of years. They just, you know, some of the guys spot something, can turn it on for two minutes and, you know, they can do that three or four times in a game. And, you know, so to shut them out that comprehensively like Ireland did is, is a testament to them. But it's, I suppose that's my worry that, like, you know, if you give someone with those those tools, those players, they'll be able to um, yeah, turn them into a crack outfit very quickly, unfortunately. Yeah, that is the risk, yeah. But even, like, even if Foster stays and for like they're just able to get enough around Foster to be able to support him and make him make the right decisions. Maybe that's not possible, but it is mm. it's definitely not late enough that, you know, they've got no chance of winning the World Cup. So we'll see. It's gonna be a very interesting next like six months for New Zealand. Yeah, and and you know, the next two games all blacks play are against Africa and South Africa. Um so either we get to deal with that backlash, um, or we get you know, two home wins, I suppose, one way or the other. Um, but yeah, speaking of SA, we did it. You know, we managed to beat the <laughs> win a home series against whatever the eighth ranked team in the world. You know, so going going into the tours, you know, you had Ireland, New Zealand, all this history track record, very easy for them to be matched in terms of the recent history and on on their um, their rankings. Australia, England, similar, maybe not the same equality in in, in recent results. Um, but then South Africa and Wales, it was like, well, it's, you know, six I mean, world champs versus the Six Nations wooden spooners for the last years, pretty much like first versus eighth. I mean, all the recent results were telling us that this is going to be a close series, but at the same time, none of us could accept it. Um, you know, so we did it in the end. What was your guys' feelings on our performance? Yeah, I think for me, like just being relieved, I guess, which is not ideal like that's not the way you want to be feeling after struggling to beat Wales just being relieved to win um, and I, I, I think none of like obviously on Saturday was the best performance in terms of the Springbok performance but it's still not where we would want to be um, so I wouldn't have been particularly happy with it I think the second game giving a lot of other players a run and seeing how they coped was not a bad strategy but also relatively risky you want to be able to do that and either not make so many changes that it's going to have that much of a negative effect on the game or yeah I mean no matter what you do as a South African coach I feel like losing at home to Wales even if you play your second or third team it shouldn't be a sort of if, yeah it shouldn't be something that you're willing to let happen at all um, so that was disappointing and I don't think any way we wrap it up losing that match to Wales even if it was 14 changes is disappointing. Um, and I think, yeah, going forward, there's a lot of um, a lot of questions still. I think a lot of form players um, 
we'll still need to put their hands up more. Our fly half issues are pretty obvious after Pollard, who had a better game on Saturday. We're not sure what's going to happen after that. Alonso was probably, I think, the biggest like um, shining point from the series. He got a lot of game time. I think I think it was quite fortunate, at least from my point of view, that he went to 12 quite early on Saturday, because I still <laughs> think that's where he's sort of most comfortable, which is um, interesting always, because 15, he gets more space, but I still feel like he looks more comfortable at 12. And yeah, I think it's just... Yeah, yeah. chat, chat about Willemsa a little bit because I mean I think he, you know he obviously played a pivotal role in the series with you know kicking winning the game in the first one but I think the comparisons between him and Vili as a 15 in the South African system you know they're very different players as you say he's very comfortable in the club he's good with his footwork just before contact to get over the advantage line but he's not a creator of space I mean this is what was always my criticism of him as a fly off is he's he's a runner a strike runner not a space creator, um, you know, and so is Pollard to an extent, but really is obviously the extreme opposite. He's always about looking to get others into space. And so that's why I think it's, it was good to see Willemsen in that 15 role, but what do you guys think? I mean, is he going to be the long-term answer at 15 or do you, we bring and look at Kalan to Fassi? I don't think he's, um, I don't think 15 is his future. Um, I think it's a good space at the moment for for the Springboks to to give him some experience and some time on the field, but um, I think the the 10 or 12, probably 12, is where he's at. And they're they're talking about him as the new Franz Stein. You know, he, he is able to cover that 10, 12, 15, um, that combination. But um, yeah, I, I seem to agree with Phil that um, 12 is probably his best spot. And as you say, and he's he's brilliant at. Um, that last little step to convert momentum forwards in, in just before contact and to get onto the weak shoulder of the defender, and that that's probably where he's going to get the most impact for the box. Um, but as a, I do fear for him that he sits a lot of the time on the bench and um, covers for 10, 12, 15 from the bench, and that especially with the the near Narbe Rasmus six six two split, um, he seems to be the perfect solution there going forwards for that six two split. So. Um, I think it's great that he's getting some time, and I agree, it's great that he's also getting some good performances in the green and gold. I think until now he hasn't really shone on the stage, but yeah. to me, to me that that final kick in that first test against Wales, where he started it from the touchline, that's that's going to be an absolute milestone in his professional career, and I think could catapult him to the level we need him to be at um, to cover for the Springboks. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's probably best suited at that 10-12 channel. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one in the system. I mean, you've got guys like Marks and Kistoff who are you know, undoubtedly world-class players and would be starting for any other country. And, you you know, you wonder what the conversation was and how happy they are to just be seen as elite-level, you know, difference makers coming off the bench. And, you know, is, is that maybe the, actually the right role for them? So, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a world-class starting 10. I have my doubts on him being a world-class starting 15. He could maybe, maybe push it at 12. But even then, you know, if you've got a Delendi or an Estes and, or any of the other young guys who are coming through, I think there's better out-and-out 12s than him. But, you know, he could be a a role slot 2023 20, player. Um, you know, and in the bomb squad system, that's not like a slight. That's a very defined role that you can fill and, and do with a plum. Um, you know, so, so and do you guys... Disagree? Do you think that that Willemse has a, a long-term starting future with the box? Or yeah, I think, like you say, it was probably 
if not the most important, one of the most important things that Rusty did, just making players happy to be off the bench. So if he can do that with Willemse, it's possibly like his um, best role. Like even if you think, if like if we were saying, if you think 12 is his best role and he pushes on and becomes better or Springbok level 12, is he like, Unfortunately for him, you know, Damien Dallander is one of the best 12s in the world, and it's the same issue that Esterhazen has. Like, he's been improving year on year, like, doing so well now for the Harlequins. But he's still, you know, behind Damien Dallander just because <laughs> he's got that level. He's performed, he's like one of the most consistent Springbok performers, I think, for the last four years. Yeah. And it's hard to budge him off that 12 spot. So you really have to find a more creative way to work around it. and. I agree, 10-15, like him starting, uh, if there they're normally would be better options. So perhaps you're right, perhaps the bench role going forward, other than injuries, of course, is like mm. you know, the best suited for him. And speaking of kind of the differences between our, you know, we've had a very established kind of first choice 15 pretty much since um, uh, Rossi and Ninopa took over. I mean, there's been maybe one or two players who've played their way into that 23 um, or into that 15 and to an extent the 23 since since 2018. Um, but are we starting to see, I mean, obviously there was 15 change, 14 change in the second game. Are, are they starting, are we starting to see some rotation happening there? Seeing some new guys actually pushing for some starting spots? Oh, um, I think there needs to be. I think I've I've been pushing my own little write-ups for for some some blooding to to go on in the Springbok squad. I think guys like like Apelele Fassi have been docking down the door for you know a couple of seasons now and deserve some time in that Springbok back three. But um, as you say, sort of the the, the Rusty Erasmus Schalkenjenaba coaching team has been so loyal to their selections um, that that first 15 or first 23 has been so well defined and their roles are so well understood. It's really difficult at the moment to break into that 23. Um, so I, I thought it was really re- refreshing in the second test to see that uh, alternative team. I won't call it a B team because I know Jacques wasn't happy with that term, but um, essentially that alternative team running out. And I think, uh, as I've said on the on the ERB Facebook group, like I think that that test was an anomaly. These were um, a number of really talented, informed players who had a hell of a lot of dominance over Wales. If you look at the territory and possession stats, especially from that first half. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean the, the way that we dominated Wales um, was exemplary. Just It was just the finishing touches and the execution um, and unforced errors, basically, that uh, und- undermined us. And I really think we should have run away with that test, um, even with that. I, I don't know if you can really call it a makeshift squad. You know, Dan Bigger was saying in the press, this is basically the form selection of Springbok players right now. Yeah. Given I think how that was the, the, the issue, though. You know, it was it was yeah. the form players, but the combinations weren't quite there. And that's why, you know, you can get dominance up in the field. But it's just those last passes that were falling off. And, you know, next time they play, those guys aren't going to make that mistake. And, you know, all that being said, it was still, what, a 78th-minute try and a touchline conversion away from, exactly, from winning, yeah. you know. So I, I don't think that team did us any disservice. I don't think it was a team selected and capable of winning, evidently. You know, if they'd literally just done one of the 30 things they did wrong right, then we win. Um, you know, so it was very, very fine margins. But, you know, who who in that game particularly put, put your hand up? And I think there was, I mean, there was a lot of excitement for guys like Kutsia and Esther Hazen, who I think have been you know, doing monumental performances at the franchise level. Neither of them were particularly 
you know, blockbusting, I thought. Um, someone like Halant also, I feel like he overreached his arm a couple of times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Trying to gas on the outside of Reese Amit was an interesting tactical choice. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, someone like Evan Roos, did you think he kind of put his hand up that he can fill that space? I thought Roos, yeah, he, he didn't, he wasn't, um, he didn't stand out as much as he has with the Storms in the URC, which is to be expected. It's his first time at another level. But he did enough to, you know, for us to want to see him get more opportunity, for sure. Um, I think, other than Roos, I think, like, Kirti Aronson was good um, on debut as well. So always, it's always good, I think, to see people who just almost naturally fit in at that higher level and don't look out of their depth or even have to take a bit of time to and adjust as much. Um, speaking of Aronson, though, I think, you know, given Colby's broken cheekbone and um, and of course he's still being injured, you know, yeah. it's like when we, our, our wing stocks are very thin at the moment, to be honest. Beyond Mpimpi yeah. and Corsi and Colby, we really don't have anyone there. So yeah. it's kind of like this is this is Aronson's time to step up and shine, you know. He's, yeah. unless, think, unless we play like Fassi or someone on the wing. Then, I mean, I think in in the past, I think on the end of year tour, we played Jesse Pirrell there, which is not something that I particularly want to see. Uh, yes. He was, I don't think he was good enough in that game because he played 13 in the second game. Although, I, weirdly, I, I still think he's like a better wing than a center, I would prefer to see him. Um, but I, yeah, I'd rather see one of the other guys take Colby's spot. I don't want to see, I don't want to see Jesse Krill. Yeah, I, I think Creel at 14 would be a regression, especially, you know, the guy's got 50 caps. Let's bring in, you know, let's start spreading the wings a bit and, and getting some, some game time and then other guys' parts. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be great to see Aronser get a bit more run time. I think Aronser would be great. I mean, he, he, he acted like he had a point to prove in that game. Um, he, he really did step up on the defensive and under the high ball, and that's where we all had question marks around him. He was up against some much bigger Welsh opposition. Um, I think he was up against, was it Josh Adams in that test? I can't remember. Yeah, well, Josh, tough person until a couple of injured, but then Adams. Yeah, 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 and then Josh Adams. So he had some some quality opposition, and I think he really, really held his own. And uh, his defensive work was outstanding, as you'd expect from a sevens player. So, yeah, he, he'd be really good, but I'm I'm definitely a, a fussy fan. I think Apolelio Fussy de- de- deserves his uh, deserves his turn. I know he's played a bit on the on the left wing, deputising for Mapimpi. But I think if you put him on the right wing, he wouldn't be out of place. Um, I think he's probably ahead of Kirtley Aronson and the Q in terms of that development and the project players, as Neonaba and <laughs> Rusty like to like to call them. I think that's and, good. Yeah, I, I think I think Fussy's next in line. But um, I definitely wasn't disappointed with, with what I saw from Aronson. Well, the only thing I'd like to see if they do start Aronson is if they can find him a pair of shorts and a jersey that fit. <laughs> like a man who's like an under 12 wearing size 46 pants. <laughs> I'm sure that that, that um, you know, the, the the wind resistance of those baggy pants were the reason he didn't get to the try line at that one stage. I reckon if you give him some streamlined shorts, he's gone all the way. Um, can, we, can we talk about um, the the complete vacuum behind Andre Pollard in the Springbok 10 jersey? Yes. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm well-renowned in these circles for being an absolute Elton Yankees basher. But um, from from mostly his miserable time at the Stormers, but also his subsequent time for the Springboks. But um, in between flashes of brilliance, he's been really dull and ordinary. And I think we saw that in the first test, given he hadn't played for a couple of months. And um, we've got to give him some sort of benefit of the doubt. But um, for me, sure. looking at looking at England, and they've got Marcus Smith coming up, and Australia, they've got Noel Lolesio. 
and a couple of other challenges to that 10 jersey. Um, I just don't see in South Africa who is the next up and comer outside of Andre Pollard. I mean, Damien Willems, as we said, is not a clear-cut 10. Um, Marnie Libok at the Stormers no. is up in the URC, but I don't think we see him in a Springbok jersey. Yeah. Chris Smith behind Mornay Stain at the Bulls, I don't know. Yeah, he's also, yeah, he's a super rugby level player, and that's uh, his ceiling. Yeah. I, think. I mean, maybe maybe Jordan Hendricks. Eh? Yeah, I think Jordan Hendricks is definitely the next. Must be the next name off the list. Um, you know, you've got two young guys at um, the Stormers, Sasha Nguzelu, who was brilliant um, for for the under twenties, and also um, I can't, that other the guy with the weird shoulders that always gets injured. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know they they're both promising, so you know, there is so there is some talent there, but as you say, it's it's a vacuum currently. I mean, none of them have been even in the box setup, let alone like. But it seems like like age-wise specifically, there's been this vacuum of like four or five years where all the guys who played SA under twenty, so that includes guys like Bosch and um, what's guy you just said, Robert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but like that whole age group all the way down to now, we're looking at guys like Hendrixa and um, even. Sasha, who just played in the under-20 tournament now. So it's been four or five years where all the promising fly-ups are just not able... Like, someone like Kerwin Bosch has a Springbok cap or two. Um, even Robert DeGreer had that one nightmare cap. Um, <laughs> but they just haven't been able to push forward. And it's really yeah. disappointing because that's where you would need your depth from. You don't... I mean, it's not too late. And now we could blood some youngsters and they could hopefully... Um, especially post-Pollard in the World Cup. Uh, but there has there's been a really disappointing lack of taking the chance from that whole generation of playoffs. Yeah, but someone that did seem to take their chance is Jaden Hendricks. I mean, he was the only, well, I suppose when you can count Etzebeth and Pierre Steph, but, I mean, they were always going to retain their jerseys from the second test, but that was the really big surprise going into the third week, at least from my perspective, that you know, their fluff was dropped from the starting lineup. I mean, is that signs that... These guys, the starting 15 from the World Cup, don't have their jerseys nailed down, or is this maybe just a little bit more depth building? You know, I think we all kind of agree that Herschel Yankees hasn't been playing at his pre-World Cup form, um, and so now maybe they're looking for that. I mean, with him out of form and Reinach being injured, you know, they're looking for the next depth beyond Faf, or is it a case of no Faf, you were you must get your act together? I think that Faf Pollard combination has a long way to go still definitely to the world cup and perhaps a little bit beyond but i, I do think it's a smart move to test that depth um Spaff wasn't that great in his return to the to the box jersey i thought he was a bit lethargic and his kicking was a little bit off mm. and Jaden probably did outperform him so i think all fair to to Jaden retaining that jersey um but i don't see that as a long-term promotion ahead of Faf. but hopefully that that lights a bit of a fire under Faf's ass and gets him performing to the level we know he can. Yeah, and I think he performed as well, pretty much as you would hope that he could on Saturday when he did get that start. Um, I'm not his biggest fan, just in his general play uh, on the scrum half. So I, he's one of those players where I almost think he's a better rugby player than he is a scrum half in terms of like around the park and that stuff. But his the core sort of scrum half things, I think he could just be, you know, obviously like a little snappier on and just some of those things, but he definitely had a good game, and I think he, I mean, I think he got like two assists even just from having quick enough ball to give, you know, when like Khaleesi scored or some of those opportunities where you keep the ball going enough to keep the momentum going and get the big boards over the line. So I think it was very promising, and 
definitely seems to have um, cemented at least that number two spot, but it's good to see pushing, you know, pushing for the number one spot too. Yeah, my my only my, well, my main reservation with with Hendricks is he sometimes just gets loses his head a little bit. I mean, there was the you know, forearm red card to the Lions player last year, and he just sometimes just gets a bit annoyed. It seems like with the game in general, he can be a bit flustered. But you know, if he can mature out of that, and hopefully his time in the book set up, um, you know, we'll we'll grow him as a player in that sense. And I think you know from there, as you say, the snappiness of service, you can you can coach that. That that's buildable. But I agree. I definitely think he has that kind of rugby IQ. Um, that you'd like, you know, the, the, the more the more intangible stuff is that's, that's less coachable. Um, you know, I think he definitely has that. So, and you know, it, it sets us up for a, a Hendrickson nine nine ten a couple of years time, which could be quite exciting. Um, yeah, I think that that would be super exciting. I think. Um, uh, uh, I don't think he's my second choice box scrum half overall. I think Kubis Reinach still deserves that second spot. Yeah. Um, he's proven himself over many many seasons. Um, and has the experience to back it up in the performances. And but it's great, it's great to see a guy like Jaden stepping up. And I think, um, just to give a shout out to Grant Williams for his Springbok debut, and I think it was kind of cruel to let him only get, what was it, a few minutes off the bench in that one test. Mm. Um, yeah. I think he had a real chance to prove himself there. And, and at the Sharks, um, you know, Grant Williams has been playing ahead of Jaden Hendricks sometimes, so why not give the man a go? Um, he's obviously an up-and-coming youngster, but... Um, yeah, a few a few scrum halves knocking on the door, which is always good to see. It's always good to have uh, some competition in those important playmaker roles. There are definitely some good options. Um, yeah, like Zach Berger, someone like that. Even Moni um, Vandenberg had a really good season for the Lions. So seeing these young guys come through, I just hope they sort of keep that URC level of performance up, and then there's no reason why they can't you know, push forward and challenge. Yeah. Um, I mean, we haven't mentioned Wales at all, really, but I don't think I don't think Wales did anything we didn't expect them to do. I mean, I think they stayed in the fight and they pushed us hard the way that they just do. But at the same time, you know, they didn't do anything particularly impressive or exciting or amazing. And I think you know the reason for all the close games was much more our poor performance or lack of performance or clinical edge than it was. You know, and that's why I think like by the, the third test, you know, I mean. We were very comfortable in control of that whole game. Maybe not so much on the scoreboard, but I mean, the, the, in terms of just the play, like we were there. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you guys got any final touches you want to just shout out. I mean, I've, I suppose my takeaway from Wales is just I, I've grown to appreciate Dan Bigger a lot more over the three games. I was from the first one when he was whining and shouting at everything, but it's just a, his press appearances and his honesty and his like refreshingness. Like he seems to just be a good good oak. I think um, from my side, in terms of the large performance, like the one thing that they did really well, especially in the first two matches, was just their sort of execution or clinicalness. Because um, we didn't really give them much of a chance, but they took every chance. And that's just as much on them as it is on us. You know, um, Reece Zammett obviously took his uh, opportunities really well. Um, and if, if we were able to, you know, limit that um, effectiveness of them having the ball at all, just like a little bit, then they wouldn't have been able to score many points at all. Um, and then I think just player-wise, so Tommy Ripple as their open side was, he just really stood out, like he was a constant menace. And um, I think we, even in the last match, but less so, we just struggled to clear him off like off the ball effectively and as quickly as we would want. So that's a bit worrying going forward, because I don't, I mean, he's really good, but there are probably better players who are going to come against going forward as well. Um, and yeah, yeah that, that, so he was the standout player. 
that felt like quite a theme for me of the of the series in general was just how aggressively you have to clear out your own ball in all the all the matches. Just you know, if you if you got your cleanouts wrong just slightly, mm. the opposition were turning it over almost immediately. Um, so I don't know if there's just been a, a different focus from from either the refs or from coaches, but yeah, it seems that you know, poaching opposition ball. I mean, the, the amount of like goal line turnovers that we saw over the last couple of weeks were insane. Um, you know, so, so it's, you know, you've got to if you can get a player like a ref or, or someone like that that can just turn a game. You know, single-handedly just change defense. Um, it, yeah, it's a very interesting thing to see and how teams handle it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I don't know how to pronounce all the Welsh names because of Matthew Proudfoot and Onan Kamani just butchering them. I don't know if it's Lewis Reed-Samet or Louis Reed-Samet or Tommy Raffel or Raffel or Dewey Lake or Dowie Lake. He was pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they seem to like oscillate between all the different forms but um yeah with the welsh like i mean as expected for a country with what is it like three million people um there's there's a couple of superstars in that lineup i mean louis louis samet um who we've mentioned uh, world-class player brilliant up-and-coming young wing um there's guys like liam williams and josh adams you know lions players who have really shown themselves on the international circuit for a couple of seasons dan bigger Included in that, Alan Wynne Jones is sort of on a bit of a wane at the moment. Um, you know, there, there's world class players in that lineup, but they don't seem to form a world class team. And I think the Springboks should have expected to put them away 3 0. Um, I think, as we said, it's sort of uh, more towards the, the Springboks' poor performance than the Welsh good performance that they managed to nab their first test in, in South Africa. Um, ever, I don't think it's post isolation. I think it's ever, right? It's ever, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to them. I mean, magnificent kick from Gareth Anscombe from the corner, and um, good, good, good on them on hanging in the game that long to take the win when the opportunities presented themselves. But um, yeah, the Springboks should have done better against a side who they should expect to beat. You know, yeah, not even nine times out of ten, sort of, you know, nineteen times out of twenty kind of thing. So, yeah, the Welsh. The Welsh were good. They gave us a good performance. I think they've, they've, um, as as Jacques Nienobel likes to say, he's giving them a lot of answers, whatever that means. I don't know what the questions were that Jacques was asking, but um, <laughs> he's he's certainly got lots of answers from this series, and hopefully that that relinquishing of our perfect record in South Africa against Wales is worth it, and we have some players that move forward from that and uh, craft the next bit of Springbok history. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's the hope. Um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see now how, how the team develops and progresses in the next couple of games, particularly against the All Blacks and how that rebounds. Um, but yeah, we are moving very fastly through time. So let's just touch on a couple of other results that have been going on around the rest of the world. It's been a very, very busy international window. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this volume of games being played kind of concurrently, which has been just very cool to see. Um, and, and a lot of games with lots on the line. Um, you know, you had Namibia qualifying for the World Cup. Alistair Kutsia, you know, having having another shot at it. Um, you've are, you got, saying that, are you saying that Alistair Kutsia stands a chance of winning the World Cup with Namibia? That is one of the headlines <laughs> I saw. I'm not even joking. It said Alistair Kutsia gets shot at redemption of the World Cup glory with Namibia. I feel like, 
It's a tough job though, because it's like if you don't qualify as Namibia, that's a massive failure. Because there's there's South Africa, then there's Namibia, like a massive gap, obviously. But then there's another massive gap, I think, yeah. from Namibia to the next African. Like Zimbabwe and Kenya are the big big pushes, I think. Although Mauritius is stepping, not Mauritius, Madagascar. Apparently, their rugby program is growing at massive rates. Um, literally, there was a game like a year or two ago, fifty-two thousand people in stadiums. So you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Madagascar, the next big uh, African rugby. Giants. Um, well, I think if if um, if Kutsia manages not to cop a hundred in one game at the World Cup, he'll have done well. So I mean, that's that's better than his defensive record with the Springboks. So <laughs> or the Stormers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then we also the Pacific Nations Cup, um, which to my big surprise, Samoa managed to walk away with, and Fiji coming second last. Tonga, despite bringing back all the All Blacks, were shocking. Um, you know, they got pumped quite routinely by the other three teams. Um, did anyone get managed to catch any of the games or hear anything interesting? I mean, the Australia A looked on paper like quite a, you know, a bit of a fantasy side, um, and a lot of names that we're familiar with. But yeah, I'm not sure how many of them actually stepped up. I mean, I know a lot of them got pulled into the full Wallabies squad at the rate of injuries they were having. Um, but yeah, it's good, good to Samoa. I mean, it's you know we've we haven't had a strong Samoa for a good number of years now. So to see them you know, knocking down Fiji and Australia A is yeah, worrying for whoever has them in the World Cup group, group, which I think might be us again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Tonga, Tonga are in the South Africa's group, if they win. Um, I, I, I was expecting Fiji perhaps to do better there, um, mm. but like you say, they came third, I think. So they it was super close in this last week between them and Smart, but they had already lost to Australia A also. And I think Australia A were also quite disrupted by injuries, mostly just bad to the main team, so they lost <laughs> players going to Australia. Uh, but I think Samoa have also developed, I mean, been helped quite a lot by Mana Pacifica, Moana Pacifica, because they get drawn a lot of players from them. So just having those players play at a higher level than they normally would is a massive, massive big thing for them. Yeah, it's 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 going to be really interesting to see how a lot of these tier two teams do at the next World Cup. Um, you know, the other really big tier two result was Georgia knocking over Italy, um, which is had fewer kind of ram like Six Nations ramifications as, than I was expecting. Um, you know, I thought there was the world was going to be up in arms about kicking Italy out, but again, it's good to have these games scheduled. It's good to see the tier two teams knocking. I mean, Italy is a tier two tier two two team, but. I mean, well, technically not, but they should be. Um, you know, so it's good, good to see Georgia stamping their mark. I mean, they've got some ridiculous talent coming through. That that young kid, Nenas Vili, uh, the wing, is insane. Um, yeah, so it'll be cool to see to see how they come along. Yeah, it's great to see these. Uh, I don't know if you can call them lesser nations coming through or tier two nations. Um, Georgia have been up and coming for a while and. Long-time favourite of pod favourite Matt, who loves to pick their props and hookers whenever he can get the chance in fantasy. But uh, yeah, I, I think yeah Samoa did outperformed to 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 my mind. Um, they probably would have been my fourth pick out of those four to to take that series. I mean the 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 Fijians did really well. I thought in um, in the new Super Rugby Pacifica, and I think they've just a more established side. And the Tongans, I didn't keep up with most of their squad, but obviously having the returns of those ex-New Zealand and Australian players, I think was a big boost to them, at least in, in terms of the crowds, but apparently not so much in terms of the performance. I mean, sorry, and Fikitoa uh, and and others coming in. Um, yeah, but, but having having 
Georgia up and coming. I mean, maybe Italy just needs to be kicked out of the Six Nations to make space for the Springboks. Who knows? Well, add Springboks and Georgia make it an eight. Who knows? There we go. Like the under twenty yeah. summer series. I think maybe that's a sign of things to come. Yeah. Look, at least, at least then you know then then Italy has a match they can vaguely competitive in each year, so yeah, they they should be voting for that for sure. Yeah, that um, and yeah. Um, and then yeah, the final result we just want to touch on, which is also you know again tier two nations coming up, is Chile qualifying for the World Cup ahead of um, the United States. So the United States, you know, which have been kind of a mainstay side in the World Cups, they're now going to have to play a repercharge to to qualify. Um, you know, so it's again there's been a shift of power in, in, in Uruguay and Chile really rising in South America where previously it was kind of just Argentina standing there. So there's the shifts and moves happening in world rugby. So it's definitely going to be good. I mean I think you know with with the top four teams on one side of the draw it's going to be an interesting World Cup. There's definitely space that if you're landing on the other side for a you know a bit more of a minority country to make it a bit further. You know you only need to upset one of England or Australia, which are and Wales I suppose you shouldn't not include them. But it's, there's definitely an easier route to the final, and some some teams are going to be lining up for that. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone can take that chance. Yeah. I think the most exciting thing for me about Chile qualifying is I think it's the first new team to a World Cup in like three World Cups or something. So Since just having, yeah. yeah, having a fresh face is just cool. <laughs> it's like it's sure it's always nice to see teams you don't see as often, but someone completely new is super exciting. Yeah, and if you think about, you know, that Uruguay-Fiji match in Japan, that was just insane, you know, it's like the more opportunities you have for things like that, the, you know, the better. Um, so, yeah, hopefully hopefully these teams can keep growing and pushing and the, the game of rugby in general can keep growing. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll have a 24-man World Cup sometime soon. Yeah, well, that's it. I hope that the U.S. do qualify for the World Cup eventually on that repercharge because that is, I think, being seen as the next big market for, for world rugby. Whether yeah, we the next World Cup's going. Yeah, we, we can grow into that that whole football crazy culture um, and teach them a real sport. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I think they're heavy favourites. So unless they really mess up against someone like Portugal, they still should. But they've really done it the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, gents, I think that that's pretty much it for the evening. Um, any last words or thoughts? Otherwise, I think we can wrap it up there. No, it's been a great few few weeks of rugby, and uh, it's great to have the pod up and running again. I'm sure many people will be appreciative of hearing some familiar and not so familiar voices. It's great to make my debut eventually on the Elite Rugby Panther podcast. Um, after, as I say, having had so many letters of writing in and complaining about Phil saying how clinical the Highlanders are, um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's good to have my own opinions head um, uh, live for once. So thanks, gents, for the chat. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, for me, uh, also just excited to have that international rugby back. And I think it's only three weeks until the rugby championship starts. So, you know, Springboks New Zealand, two weeks in a row should be amazing. And then off to Australia, which is going to be super tough with Springboks as well, but also exciting. And yeah, let's see what the rest of the year holds in store. Yeah, I'm just excited for the next couple of weeks to be able to wake up on a Sunday without a sore head for a change. So yeah, it'll be, be, a, be a nice nice bit of mix-up. Um, but yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time, and we'll chat next week. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Cheerio.